All right, let's get started. So, there was a debate last night, a new Supreme Court nominee, and all sorts of other things going on in the world. So, let's talk about what's going on in politics today. Uh, This is James O'Hara. This is Politics Today Podcast. And, of course, I would be remiss if I did not begin today's podcast with a recap of the first presidential debate of 2020, um, which, of course, was between President Donald Trump and Vice President Joe Biden. Um, It was an interesting debate, um, for sure. I definitely would say it's the the worst presidential debate I've ever seen in my lifetime. (laughs) So I'll start with that. Um, I'm going to give you, as I always do, an honest recap and approach to what happened in this debate and go over some of the issues um, that were brought up and some of the unflattering things and some of the important things that were mentioned in the debate. So there, there there was some value in this debate, even though it looked absolutely horrible and sounded pretty bad from the very, very onset. Um, there's a lot of reasons, I think, for that, and I'm going to get into them today and talk about what those reasons really were. Um, so let's start with my initial criticism of this debate to begin with. Um, I think that the debate started off very badly, even from the very beginning. Now, um, I like to watch my debates on C-SPAN. I get a unbiased approach uh, from C-SPAN with that. There was no commentary or anything Tried to avoid all that stuff because I knew on all the regular stations they would have, you know, people saying, oh, the president this, president that. And I didn't want to get all involved in in getting a different perspective on things. So I watched from C-SPAN. I got to watch it from the very beginning. It was straightforward. No no frills on the debate. And uh, I got to watch it all the way, even with uh, Chris Wallace's mic not working right at the very beginning, which I thought was kind of embarrassing. And then, of course, they get into the actual debate. So let's begin with... Uh, I'll start with Trump. Trump is the person I would I would like to come out honestly with what his debate performance was. And I think he put himself in the hole from the very onset of the debate. Um, he came out uh, swinging uh, as hard as he can at everybody, uh, including the moderator, um, which is uh, Chris Wallace, who from Fox News. And he right off the bat, opened up and interrupted on almost every single uh, breath that Joe Biden took. Uh, every time Joe Biden attempted to answer a question, there was an interruption from uh, President Trump. And it got to the point right off the bat where you could tell that Chris Wallace was trying to get a handle on the on the candidates, trying to prevent them from interrupting each other. Uh, there was interruptions on both sides, but for sure, President Trump was interrupting and not using his time wisely. That was my, my biggest, my biggest criticism of the president in this debate uh, wasn't that he was rude and he was badgering and um, he was approaching this in a very aggressive style. Uh, that is Donald Trump. That that is his style. That is his his. If he has a debate style, which I don't think he has much of a debate uh, technique, that would be his style to be aggressive to call people out, um, almost like trolling them on stage, uh, trying to make see if they make a mistake. That's kind of his his M.O. when it comes to debates. That's what he did with Hillary Clinton. He pushed her into a position where uh, she kind of was like forced to make mistakes um, to try to get her point across. And it, it, it can be effective to throw your opponent off by getting under their skin and annoying them to the point that they don't uh, they forget their debate prep. They, they they lose their professional debating skills, and you're able to see what they really think about something, and you're able to uh, attack that. Basically, uh, is what the kind of what Trump does. But in this debate, it, it failed him miserably because at the onset of the debate, with him coming out and behaving that way, it forced uh, Chris Wallace to interrupt him and try to reclaim time and try to get things under control. And I think it ruined him for the rest of the night because as things settled down and the debate got into these serious topics and there was some discussion, there were moments where rebuttals were necessary from the president when the president was attacked and a rebuttal would have been necessary for that. And the president lost his opportunities. Chris Wallace would not allow him to rebut Anything Now, that's a fault on Chris Wallace to a certain extent. He was a horrible, horrible moderator. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen 
let, let them, outside of watching Anderson Cooper or pretty much any NBC uh, moderator, um, there wasn't, you know, I haven't seen a worse moderator than Chris Wallace. He, he had no control over the situation. He had no control over what was being said and how to direct these candidates to answer. Uh, so I fault him a lot for that. But there were times where the rebuttal was necessary, but I felt like um, almost as if uh, Trump had used up all his um, interruption opportunities right in the very beginning. And he set himself off on a wrong foot, on a wrong pace from the beginning. Uh, it is true that they, 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 did, they were uh, – it's true that Trump was definitely going against Biden and – uh, the moderator. He was debating Chris Wallace and Joe Biden at the same time. Uh, Joe, Chris Wallace was very aggressive about getting certain questions in and uh, uh, kind of attacking the president on certain points. So I, I do give Trump a little bit of leeway there, but I do think he acted the wrong way right from the beginning, right from the jump. Um, he rambled on from thought to thought. He didn't get cohesive, coherent statements and finished sentences. He kind of trailed off and jumped on the next subject. It was like as if he was trying to talk about 10 things at the same time. And in a debate, you can't do that. You just can't. You, you have to have discipline in your message in a debate. Uh, a debate, in general, is about making yourself look good and making your opponent look bad. And if you make yourself look bad, then it's not very hard for your opponent. And that's what Trump did. Trump was beating himself in every turn. And a lot of it was because he was trying to get so many thoughts out of his head that he couldn't articulate them in a coherent fashion to answer questions. So he kind of jumped, and then he result he he you know fell back on this just yelling out things and interruptions and the trying to get Joe Biden off of his off off kilter and get him you know to say something wrong. So that's my criticism of Trump right off the bat. Now, with that said, um. Biden interrupted almost as much as Trump did in reality. If you listen to the debate, which I've listened to it twice now uh, and picked out these times, haven't counted as many, how many times he interrupted, but it was almost as much as Trump was. They, they both were making lots of comments under their breath, both trying to get each other uh, off point and get under each other's skin. So Biden was not innocent in this. It's not like he didn't interrupt. He just had a lot of help from the moderator, uh, Chris Wallace, really kind of was a crutch to Biden. As Biden said something or Biden got off subject, Trump would interrupt, and it would be more Chris Wallace stopping Trump and letting Biden finish than the opposite. There was not many times where Biden was told to stop and Trump was allowed to finish. It was almost as if Trump kept constantly was getting cut off and Biden was constantly allowed to finish his thoughts. Part of that is the rambling and mumbling and bumbling that Biden does when he speaks. Uh, he does have a, he, he has overcome a speech impediment. So he does have an issue there, um, which is a, a legitimate, I'm, I'm not trying to say, you know, a lot of people have beat up uh, president or, or vice president um, Joe Biden over his uh, age and whether he is uh, able to handle and has the faculties to handle being president. Now that's, uh, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about here. He does have, have a speech impediment and a stutter that he has had to overcome. So there are times where you can see his mind going and running faster than his mouth is moving. And he bumbles over some things a lot, but it was those bumblings that were allowed to happen by the moderator. The moderator paused Trump to let the mumbling and bumbling continue for him to put a thought together where Trump wasn't given that same, treatment when trump had a little trying to put a thought together on the fly and was trying to get it out he was cut off and uh he was allowed to have you know biden was allowed to respond before the whole thought was was completely said so there was an issue with the moderator moderator was bad chris wallace terrible terrible performance by him and uh, th that needs to be called out and i'm gonna, I'm gonna get to more about what he did in a minute here that really calls out how bad he was um now Interestingly enough, in this debate, which, trust me, if you're a Trump supporter or if you watch President Trump in any situation uh, that's with another person of the other party, Trump, you're expecting him to result in ta name call and, you know, he makes nicknames for everybody and you're expecting that out of him. It's part of the showmanship that Trump has. Uh, people, you know, it's, a, it's an entertainment value that Trump brings to the table. Uh, and surprisingly enough... Trump didn't bring much of that 
uh, in last night's debate. He did uh, did kind of go low on some on at some points, but the name calling actually resorted from Joe Biden. Uh, the attacks on Joe Biden and the interruptions did work into an effect of getting Biden to come out and name call uh, the president. Uh, most uh, you know probably most obviously was when he called him a clown and had told him to shut up. I mean, you're calling a sitting president of the United States a clown. And you could see Joe Biden caught himself after he said it. And he said, uh, not a clown, a, a person. He he knew what he did was very disrespectful to the president. Now, any other president would have been on that stage. That would have never flown. You would have me- immediately heard the moderator get involved and said, you know, hey, that's not appropriate. We, we don't call the president a clown. Um, that's not what happens. I mean, I can't imagine uh, Barack Obama being called a clown on stage um, by a debate opponent. Uh, I just don't ever see that flying and being acceptable. But we have uh, have a desensification to what happens to with, with President Trump. There's a lot more that is allowed with President Trump than has been tolerated by uh, you know, four previous presidents. So the media will say things about President Trump they would never say about a previous president, not while they're you know in office. And uh, there's a lot that happens in, in President Trump's world uh, that is allowed that you wouldn't see. So with that said, Joe Biden really went low first, not President Trump, which was surprising. I expected President Trump to go low um, the entire time. Uh, he, he went down with the interruptions, but really the name calling came from uh, president uh, or vice president, former vice president, uh, Joe Biden. Um, so that was a surprise. That was something I took from that. Um, then both candidates void of any kind of specifics, um, in their arguments. Um, they did not have much to say as far as any kind of specific answer. Healthcare, uh, Trump was all over the place when it came to healthcare. Uh, he, you know, basically said he wants to just improve it. Um, but he didn't get a coherent, cohesive, policy plan out um, on health care and didn't defend his position very well. Biden uh, had no policy on health care. Um, he doesn't he doesn't have a policy on health care. Uh, he was called out for that. Uh, but for some reason, no one seems to care that Joe Biden doesn't have a plan when it comes to fixing any kind of health care issues other than continue Obamacare as it was run and expand it um, as it was run under Barack Obama, which was an epic failure. I mean, the program did not work. It, it didn't work in theory. It didn't work in practice. That's one of the reasons why it's had so many court cases that are trying to tear it apart and the individual mandate was removed. Um, it's an unconstitutional program that does not work. Uh, so he, it's really hard to defend that. But Joe Biden just says, I'm going to expand. It. I'm going to expand Medicaid. And um, that's what I'm going to do, uh, which would probably bankrupt half the states anyway if he did something like that. So it's just... It's madness to even listen to his healthcare policies because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have a plan. Um, but Trump didn't have a plan either, uh, which honestly, many presidents in our history, uh, especially recent history, have not had plans. Uh, you know, Barack Obama never talked about almost a serious policy point in any of his debates. He relied on platitudes, hope and change, uh, feel good things, and that's it. So. That was healthcare was kind of a flippy floppy thing. They both seemed frazzled on it, didn't have much of an answer. Um, I do think Trump hit pretty hard on the Green New Deal against Biden, uh, and that was a success for him. Uh, Biden supports the Green New Deal. Then now he says he doesn't support the Green New Deal. He says he has a, a new deal that's a Biden Green New Deal that's different than the other one, even though his website says uh, he supports the Green New Deal. Um, they did hit him on cost. Uh, where Trump nailed him saying, hey, this is going to cost trillions and trillions of dollars. $100 trillion is the number that was thrown out there. And that's from a policy uh, analyst that had said, I think it was $93 trillion is what they had priced out the Green New Deal to cost. And for some reason, uh, that was not allowed to be pursued by the moderator. You would think a good moderator would go after that um, as a true thing for cost. He, it, he kind of did. Chris Wallace kind of went for it. And kind of addressed it with uh, Biden about, oh, well, you say you have to change all these buildings and blah, blah, blah. But didn't really get in. I mean, the reality is the Green New Deal is, is a ridiculous thing and should be called out as a ridiculous thing. 
And no serious presidential candidate should actually talk about the Green New Deal as an actual policy that could solve any problems because it would not solve any problems. I mean, it may it may reduce greenhouse emissions and uh, – well, it would definitely reduce greenhouse emissions, but it may reduce the warming of the earth by maybe a degree over the next 500 years – but there's no guarantee it would, and it would bankrupt every country that attempted to do it, especially the United States, and we, would, we wouldn't be around to see whether the results of what we did actually worked or not. So it's not an answer. It's not an answer. I have my own theories on how you fix things with, the, with uh, green policies. I'm a total fan of renewable energy, um, but I believe the best way for that to happen is through the private sector and through market actions. Uh, people are going to pursue uh, things that are going to be marketable and commercially effective and, and make them money and profit. And so as long as uh, other energy sources are going to do that, they're going to be maintained. And I have a whole philosophy on this. I can get into it in another podcast. I want to keep focused on the debate for now. Um, so I don't want to get off on a tangent because I can easily do that. And who would want me to do that? Nobody. So uh, <laughs> to go back into the debate... The Green New Deal is something they, they, they flop over a lot. Uh, but overall, both candidates seemed very, very ill-prepared for this and as if they didn't uh, prepare well or practice in any real capacity. Uh, Biden, you could definitely see some of his debate prep every time he got into trouble, which this is a Biden attribute. Uh, when he gets in trouble, he either stops talking, something Trump does not do, he either stops talking and tries to gather his thoughts. He will usually try doing something like, I spoke too much or I said too much or I'm taking too much time. He didn't do that in tonight's debate and or last night's debate. And what the cause was, I think the reason why he didn't, is his debate prep people figured that out. And they said it's going to be clear that you're not 100% there in, in your mind if you are saying, uh, you know, if you're not taking all the time that's given to you and things like that. So if you notice, every time he got into any kind of trouble, and when by trouble I mean he couldn't think of a thought completely, couldn't answer a question or just straight up refused to answer a question, or could not address the attacks coming from, uh, you know, Trump like a honey badger in the corner going after him, when he couldn't um, ad- address those attacks, he would turn to the camera and point to the camera and address the people, like the American people, and say, you, you, need to, you need to vote, or you need to go out and ask your senators, and things like that. And that was, you know, it, it goes over well. It's a, it's a good debate technique. I'm not knocking it as a not a good technique. It is good. People do like it. People respond to that. They feel like, oh, the candidate's talking to me, where Trump is only caring about himself and not caring about the people. But... You have to go a little further and see through what it really was. What it really was was him avoiding uh, answering a question or going something. And this is uh, to get into some specifics. This happened right off the bat with the first couple questions that were asked, or the first question that was asked, which was about the Supreme Court. Obviously, that's a huge uh, piece of news that came out, um, historic. We have a, um, a woman being... Uh, put on the Supreme Court by President Trump. It's his third pick, and it's Amy Coney Barrett. He announced that on Saturday, so it kind of segue into the Supreme Court nominee. She has been picked to uh, supersede um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she's already been attacked over her religion uh, in, very, in, in faint ways. And it was brought up that, you know, is this an appropriate time to put someone on the court? Now, if you listen to my last podcast when I talked about the court, and the in the and whether it's constitutional or not, one hundred percent, we will have a new member of the Supreme Court. It will be Amy Coney Barrett. She will get approved. That is a foregone conclusion. There is nothing that the Democrats can do to stop it, and it shouldn't be stopped. It's constitutional. It's historic. It's the way it works. It's traditional. That's what we should do, and no one should fight against it. To say it's not appropriate, you you're speaking out of a political position and not out of reality. So uh, there's no argument that anyone, any person can make that would be intelligent to say that this should not happen, that she shouldn't be on the court. Um, she's definitely very uh, well qualified to be on the court, and that's something Trump brought up. So Trump did a good job bringing up that he 
He has the right to do this. He's going to do it. And she's the appropriate person to go on the Supreme Court. No issues there. Biden refused to answer that, whether she was appropriate for the court. He, uh, he said, oh, you know, I don't know her. Um, and he said things about her that he didn't. If he doesn't know her, then how could he say certain things about how she would vote on Obamacare uh, on any kind of Obamacare case that became before him. Somehow he knew that she would do that, but he doesn't know much about her. She seems like a nice person. So he kind of avoided any kind of addressing of Amy Coney Barrett. And then he, when he was asked about packing the court, which is something that Democrats have called for, Chuck Schumer and other Democrats have called for increasing the number of Supreme Court justices from nine to a different number so that they can put more nominees of their political party and or, or their political persuasion, I should say, since it's supposed to be a nonpartisan office, um, into the Supreme Court and have things go their way to protect things that they believe are constitutional for them. So that is something that's been clearly stated by the Democrats. It's something they support. Uh, they're using it almost as a uh, as a stick to bludgeon the Republicans into not doing this as a threat. And he was asked about it. He did not want to address it because. As he said, he is the Democrat Party. That's what the Democrat Party supports. He would have to admit to doing that. He wasn't going to do that, so he turns to the camera and he says, you, the American people, you need to go out and vote for your senators. You need to have a, a voice in this, and so on and so forth, and repeated all the platitudes about you know, the people need to vote for Supreme Court justices, which the people don't vote for Supreme Court justices. They vote for the president. They vote for senators. They vote for representatives. Uh, they vote for presidents who they believe will put certain people on the court. That is one of the reasons why President Trump was elected uh, over um, Hillary Clinton is because he would put conservative people on the court. Uh, this is part of his capacity. He's still president. He was very right to point out he's president for four years and not president for three, and that he is there to appoint a Supreme Court justice when the vacancy arrives uh, and arises. And he was right for that. So Trump did good on that. Biden did not well on that. And you could tell he avoided it by pointing at the camera and I'm going to, you need to go out and vote. He did that constantly throughout to try to avoid answering questions. Um, uh, you know, and other times he's under his breath muttering to President Trump, who is, of course, being the honey badger in the corner, attacking him, interrupting him on a consistent basis, which I, I admit was very annoying. It was very non-presidential. Uh, if you want to put it that way, but it, it was not the way you debate somebody and win. That's for sure. It definitely hurt the president to do that and to come out that way. Now, getting into actual questions on this debate that really bothered me and why, um, uh, why I would attack Chris Wallace as a moderator. Um, Chris Wallace did not do a good job moderating this debate, and not only was a crutch to Biden, um, but was not good and didn't ask good questions about certain things. He asked very open-ended questions that were not, not were made up. I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't stress this enough. Frankly, there is made up stuff that has been made up by people in the media who somehow they really believe that these things are actual realities. And they ask questions of people about made up things. And when they get weird answers that no one can really answer the question correctly because it's made up, uh, then they go after that person. That person now gets beaten up, and it creates a narrative. This is a narrative-creating thing. So um, of these questions is when they switch to race. Um, the first one, of course, was about critical race theory and why the president stopped critical race theory trainings in the federal government. And the president, I thought, had a very good answer, that these are racist, and he's 100% correct. Uh, you end those racist policies because they do not have any business in a modern, civilized, non-racist nation, right? If we are living a post-racist society, then you cannot sit there and accept these racist trainings that are done by people and designed by people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, who believe that white privilege is a thing and that all white people are bad and everything that happens between white people and anyone that's not white has to be the white person is the as the aggressor and the instigator and the problem um, and it's because of some weird historically rooted thing that's made up because these people don't know history so they created a history that does not exist so that is what critical race theory is based in and it is a horrible racist ideology and this is apparent even with Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination 
Ibram X. Kendi, Kendi uh, came out and, po- and tweeted, you know, about about colonizers adopting uh, black children uh, as a, an apparent dig at Amy Coney Barrett, who has seven children, two of them adopted from Haiti. And apparently she's a white colonizer trying to, um, you know, civilize savage people is how he put it, um, which is not only most, one of the most racist things I've ever heard, but it's absolutely just completely ridiculous on all counts. I mean, anyone who says that should be laughed at, they should be ridiculed, and no one should take them seriously. But this guy gets $10 million. No joke. $10 million of an endowment to continue his racist race trainings, where he trains people to hate themselves. And he's a, and, and, and Biden, it's very noticeable, Biden bit into this and towed the line that shows his ignorance on the issue. When it got brought up, his response was that people should know about their inherent prejudices and whether they say something that hurts someone else, uh, and they should be aware of those things, and and they should have self-awareness of other people and empathy for those people and how they feel. That is not what critical race theory is. That's called being a, a normal person, right? That's called being a good person is sitting back and knowing oh you know maybe if i say something that's racially insensitive even though i don't think it racially it's racially insensitive and i don't you know i'm not offended by it if i say that to this person they may be offended by what i said because i don't know their past i don't know their history i don't know you know what they've been through and or you know their personality and how they're going to take something right that that's that happens that's why people in most workplaces they have policies where you don't want to say you know you can't say certain things it's it's because you don't know, and you should have a little wherewithal that other people may feel differently than you, right? That's called being a normal, respectful human being. That is not critical race theory. Critical race theory teaches that there are subconscious things happening in your head that make you racist, and that if you don't actively, as Ibram X. Kendi says, actively be anti-racist, then you are perpetuating racism in our society. And to be anti-racist, you must support social democrat policies. Things like reparations, or Medicare for all, or state-run health care, or those kinds of things. So if it's a socialized democrat position, and you support it, that is your ticket to being anti-racist. So critical race theory is fake. It's political theory. It's how do we get people to vote Democrat um, and continue to put people in office that are going to support socialist policies? Oh, well, we make them feel like racists if they don't. And so we change the argument from, is this a good policy that is economically intelligent and will help the greater good of people? Um, Or... Is this a policy that if I don't support it, I'm going to be looked at as a racist, so I better go and support this policy, even though it's not in the interest of the American people in large, um, but it's in the interest of a small group of people who are going to benefit from this. Uh, technically, you know, you know, quote, unquote, the critical race theorists, right, who are designing these programs. So who are making $10 million off of training federal employees and schools and things like that with fake history. So... That is really what critical race theory is. President was 100% right to call it out for what it was and not support it. And President and, and Vice President Biden was 100% wrong for mischaracterizing it as something else. He lied to people. And not that he's... not. Maybe he doesn't know. I don't believe that. I believe he's an intelligent human being. And I believe he's playing politics with it. But he's lying. He, he's characterizing it as something what it, it, that it's not. So that was one big hit, and you had no pushback from uh, from Chris Wallace on any of that because Chris Wallace himself is perpetuating the same theory and same idea. He's a member of the media, and most members of the media don't understand any of this stuff. They live in a bubble where they think supporting these policies will make them look like they're anti-racist. So no, you know, racism is a is a buzzword. It's a it is a word you use to try to end conversations and try to disarm people who uh, may have something against you in the world of facts and evidence, right? That's what these things are used for. 
Um, so that was one thing that fell flat on its face, um, where Trump was right, but Trump didn't get a chance to back it up. And the moderator assisted Biden and not assisted, well, not that he supposed to assist Trump, but assisted one candidate over the other. Uh, the next one uh, was brought up over China. Now, they debated China and brought that up. And it was about trade deals. And this was an issue that was brought up by Joe Biden. Biden's the one who brought up the trade deals in China. As a rebuttal to that, saying that the that China's, you know, eating our lunch, right? China's the one that's um, that we're going to have a bad deal because uh, of President Trump. Um, this left open Biden to a major accusation that has getting a lot of traction and is basically starting to come out as well, 100% true. And that is that Hunter Biden, his son, has made shady deals with uh, people in Ukraine and in Russia and in um, China for millions and millions of dollars, moving billions of dollars in funds through his uh, through a financial management company and making all this money off these people. This is a 100% conflict of interest for Vice President Biden, and it should be rightfully called out. And the president went for the rebuttal and was then cut off and stopped by the moderator from pursuing the attack, which is a relevant fact that needs to be brought up in a debate. That's the only time it's going to be brought up because the media won't cover it. They refuse to cover the fact that Hunter Biden, uh, who's the son of the vice president, while the the vice president was in office, was using the vice president and his position of his father to get these lucrative deals and make millions of dollars. Now, we don't know how far Biden was involved in that or if he was directly involved. We do know one case where he was directly involved in firing a prosecutor or pushing for the firing of a prosecutor that happened to be investigating the company that his son was on the board of making millions of dollars. Um, or $83,000 a month, right, with no, with zero experience. We, we know that those are all real facts that are, are not being pursued by anybody in the media. That was the line of questioning that Trump was bringing in as his rebuttal. So when, when you bring in trade deals and you say you got, you're not doing a good thing, China's eating our lunch, China's uh, you know, taking advantage of us, and you don't let someone rebuttal and say, well, you are, if you're going to try to handle China – you have a huge conflict of interest. Your son has been involved in them. How really seriously are you going to deal with China? You're not. You're not really going to seriously deal with China. I mean, no reasonable person can think that Joe Biden is going to take a hardline stance on the Chinese or the Chinese government when he has so deep connections with his son being involved with the Chinese government and other Chinese uh, officials making millions of dollars off of them. I mean, that is... I mean, how do you think that's going to actually work out? I mean, that is a legitimate question that needs to be asked. And it was stopped by the moderator. The moderator didn't let it go through, and it should have been allowed. Uh, it was a valid rebuttal. Now, it's been it's been looked at as an attack on the, the president's kid who is a drug addict and things like that. And the president and vice president Biden used that as his um, – used it to his advantage. Uh, he is a skilled debater. He used it as a, to his advantage to, uh, you know, say my son overcame a problem, and he redirected – what was happening so that it wouldn't stick on the issue of China, what it needs to, and it needs to be brought up and needs to be fought out more in debates. So I think president Trump did have a hit on him there and the moderator stopped it from happening, uh, which is when, when you're going to hear people accuse Chris Wallace of being a, you know, a backup or a crutch um, or an assistant, or as uh, you know, Peter Navarro who works for president called him a cut man, like in uh, boxing for, uh, Vice President Biden, it's true. Uh, it, that it did happen. And it's you could see it evidenced in how he responded or did not let certain responses come um, from uh, President Trump when President Trump pushed it. So that was one of the big issues that w- was brought up. And then now we have the biggest issue of all. This was the, the, the thing that's getting the most um, traction in uh, the debate circles of people who are now, you know, talking about the, the debate and recapping it and all the media that's run with this. And this is the Proud Boys comment uh, that you, you probably know of if you watched the debate, you heard the comment, and this is where it came out of. So there's an important thing to focus on here. 
the questions were was based on race and what was going on in the country as far as Black Lives Matter supporters, Antifa, um, left-wing uh, protesters and rioters who are going through American cities um, now for hundreds of days and destroying property, protesting, hurting people, um, assaulting and shooting police officers, and in some cases actually killing people. Uh, that is what the issue that was brought up. However, the question that was asked by Chris Wallace was something I think was, was is unforgivable. And it is a question, it is a, a type of question that's what we would call a setup question. It was a question that was set up to get a bad response as a response. It was set up for no response, but it would get a, any response was going to be a bad response to a question. It is a question that you cannot ask and answer correctly because the question is based on a complete figment of someone's imagination it is frankly impossible to answer, right? It's like saying, hey, did you, did you see the Loch Ness Monster? And you answer, well, no, I, I, don't, I didn't see your, the Loch Ness Monster. And then people look at you and go, what, you believe, so you were looking for the Loch Ness Monster? You know, like, the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist, or, or so on and so forth, something like that. It's the idea is that you're putting someone in a position where no matter what they say, there's really not going to be a good answer. They're either admitting to something that isn't, or they're going to answer it in a way that you're going to be able to say, "Oh, so you do uh, believe this, or you do support this, or you know, it's it's a it's a gotcha question, it's a setup question. Uh, it wasn't designed to have a correct answer, and that was the question that came up when they talked about um, if uh, the president would denounce white supremacists and and uh, militia groups that supposedly have been causing trouble." in cities like Kenosha and Portland. Now, there is some evidence to believe that there are groups of counter-protesters who have gone out into places like Kenosha. There's the, the Kyle Ritterhouse incident. Um, there's an issue where a Trump supporter was shot and killed in Portland um, simply for being a Trump supporter. Um, there's been incidents where you've had counter-protesters uh, at these um, riots that have been unfolding in different cities. Now, Here's the, the myth and the, the untrue part of this. The idea that these people are coming out and they're causing trouble, right? It's not true. The trouble's being caused by people rioting in the streets. The people rioting in the streets are by far left-wing supporters, socialists, Black Lives Matter supporters, people rioting for, for really no reason. These people are pro-criminal rioters is what they are. And so those people are out there already doing this. They've been rioting for days in many cases, uh, some cases weeks They've been rioting, and so they elicit a response. People show up to counter what is going on. In the Ritterhouse situation, these were people who have been deemed and called militia members, but uh, there's no real evidence that they were by, supported by any militia. They did have weapons. Uh, they were defending private property, or at least that's what they claimed they were there doing. And, of course, things got turned bloody and deadly And with the Kyle Ritterhouse situation after he was pursued and attacked by uh, people who were protesting and, uh, you know, air quotes, you know, air quotes protesting, rioting in reality. So... That's where the uh, antithesis, the, the 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 basis of this question comes out of that Chris Wallace is asking. But the reality is, this isn't true. I mean, there aren't white supremacist groups marching through the street. There aren't militias and right wing militias and pro Trump supporters marching through the street, wreaking havoc on American cities. I mean, this doesn't exist. You can turn on any TV, you can watch any live stream of any of these protests. That's not happening. There, there are Black Lives Matter supporters. There's Antifa supporters that, you know, Antifa, a real thing, even though Vice President Biden doesn't believe they're real. Uh, they're another figment of his imagination. They're real. There's people who support them. I've met them and spoke with them. And these people have rioted in the streets and are they're the ones who are antagonizing people, marching through the streets, you know, for whatever cause they believe in they're, they're marching for. Whether you agree with it or not, they're, they're doing that. You can watch it on any television. These are not white supremacists. These are not right-wing militias that are doing this. Now, are there situations where these white-wing, white wing, white wing, right-wing, couldn't say that for a minute, well, right-wing militias do show up? 
Are there situations where some of these people may be white supremacists? Sure. But is that the norm? Absolutely not. I mean, the percentage of white supremacists showing up at these protests, I mean, I, I wouldn't even doubt you could even measure it in any, compa- any actual way, right? That's such a small factor, if even at all. So the question comes out of something that's completely false and made up. It doesn't exist. And then it's asked, would you tell these white supremacists and uh, these uh, and people like them, these right-wing militias, to stand down is what the question was. So I went ahead and pulled the question up. I, I went back and pulled up the, um, the actual transcript here to it. And Chris Wallace starts in and he says, you have repeatedly criticized the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. Something that the vice president has not done. He has not called out Antifa. He thinks Antifa is a made-up thing. That's an ideology and not actually a group. Um, So, yes, he should be criticized for that. Uh, Then Chris Wallace continues, But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities we saw in Kenosha and we've seen in Portland? And... Donald Trump's immediate response says, sure, I'm willing to do that. Then Chris Wallace pushes and says, are you specifically going to do that? And this is where things go off the rail. President Trump rightfully says that these things are coming from the left, not from the right. That is true. Anyone with a brain and with eyes can see that they are left-wing protesters that are doing this, not right-wing people. You know, anyone who turns on TV can see this. So... President Trump calls that out. He says, yes, these are these are left-wing people doing this from what he can see, not right-wing people doing this. So you can see the confusion here. Why are you going to denounce something that's not happening, that doesn't make a lot of sense? Shouldn't this question be directed towards Vice President Biden and phrased the opposite way? You've been called out for not uh, denouncing Antifa and not denouncing left-wing extremists. Would you do that now? That should have been the question. But instead, the question is to President Trump about these made-up white supremacists that really aren't marching in the streets and doing anything. Now, is it to say that this has happened and there's been small pockets of this and it, you know there's been some evidence that these people may have been a white supremacist? Sure, but you could probably take any population of any group of people and say one of these people is a white supremacist, right? It doesn't. It's not something you expect people to roundly condemn and come out and say, oh my God, this needs to end. The left wing needs to stop what they're doing. The right wing, you're not seeing it from them. Um, so then they push the president. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? Right? And the president is going, what do you want me? And he goes, what do you want to call them? Meaning the president was clearly wondering who are these people that it's being brought up by Chris Wallace that he's supposed to be condemning, right? Just saying condemn white supremacists. For the record, the president has condemned white supremacy. More than any other president in U.S. history. That is, a, that is a fact. If you go through the president's speeches and through the president's statements and questions, this president has condemned racists and condemned white supremacy on a consistent and constant basis because it's constantly a charge being thrown on him by a media that has no clue what they're doing except to run and form division in the country. So he's constantly pushing back on this idea of him being a racist. He doesn't like being called a racist. You can tell it definitely gets under his skin. He's not a white supremacist. Uh, He was never accused of being a racist or white supremacist his entire life until he becomes president, and he began to fix problems in his country. So uh, that right there goes without saying. He has condemned this roundly. Why is this even being a question asked to him? So he's very, you can tell he's like, why do you want me to call them? Give me a name. He says, give me a name. Go ahead. Who do you want me to condemn? That is his, is his quote. And it is Vice President Biden who says the name Proud Boys. I had to listen to this clip about four or five times to get it. Vice President Biden is the one who tells him the name Proud Boys. He yells it out. He says, Proud Boys. And Proud Boys is now brought up and put in the president's head. And then the president makes a statement, uh, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. Now, he's being ridiculed for the standby part of this. I honestly think that's 
it, it was a stupid thing to say, but I don't think he was sending some kind of – now there's like, oh, he's sending a message to the Proud Boys, blah, 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 and, and all these things. Um, I don't think that was his intention at all. I think he was simply saying, stand back and stand down. You know, anything that would have came across in that direction because he's now put on spot. He's got two people yelling at him to condemn this Proud Boys group that apparently he needs to now condemn because that's the position he's now been thrown into, right? To condemn these white supremacists that are running through the streets and wreaking havoc and causing all these trouble and burning down buildings and looting and rioting, which is not happening. It's not happening. It does not exist. It's a made-up thing. It literally is not happening. Like, go condemn this stuff that's not happening. And condemn the Proud Boys who aren't doing this. <laughs> like, that is literally what these two people are yelling at him. And he says, stand back and stand by. He's getting ridiculed for the standby comment. Um, sure, looking back on it, hindsight's twenty twenty. It sounds bad when you tell a, a group that's been labeled as a racist group to stand by. Although, I will honestly say I don't know much about the Proud Boys. I'm not a Proud Boy. I haven't researched the group very much. Um, I did do a little bit of research on them. They do say they accept everyone of all different colors and races. Uh, to me, that doesn't sound like a white supremacist group because they usually wouldn't do that. But they do seem pretty extreme um, for their their standpoint. So I won't... Uh, I'm not going to stand out here and defend them or anything like that, especially with no knowledge, really, of the inner workings of their organization. Um, I like to do my research before I come to you folks and tell you what's what I think on things. So I'm not defending the organization, but I do see why the president was confused and how his response didn't gel with anything. Then that's it. It, it, it didn't. The question dropped off with Joe Biden talking about the FBI said they're a white supremacist group um, and Antifa is not an organization. Right. And he's mumbling off in the distance. And then immediately Chris calls us. We're done. Moving on to the next question. That is the worst piece of debate moderating I've ever seen in my life. You ask a set-up question that has no good answer based on a completely made-up thing that does not exist. You allow the other candidate to yell out a name of an organization for the president to condemn, which is not doing any of the things that are being stated in the question when the opposite is happening. The real, I mean, this is gaslighting on a level that you don't ever see. I mean, this is crazy. The left-wing people who support Joe Biden and the Democrat Party are the people rioting and burning down cities across America. That is a fact. That is what you can see. You can turn on any television. You can watch any nightly newscast. That is what is going on. Yet the president is the one who's asked this question in a debate about a made-up thing that's not occurring at any kind of real capacity that would be a major issue. And in fact, if you look at it, we have the, the, the people who have been called out as being white supremacist, or I don't want to really because we don't know if they're white supremacists or not, but the, the people who have been called as being right-wing, people like Kyle Ritten, Ritterhouse, those are people who were, one, pursued and attacked by protesters, and that's still under investigation. And another one who shot a Trump supporter in the street simply because they were a Trump supporter. So the fact that this question wasn't turned around and put to the vice president who is running for the position of being the president and being in charge of this country was absolutely asinine. It was insane that this question was asked in a debate. And that really... Pushes, pushed the debate for me to being the worst I've ever seen. Not only because of Donald Trump's really kind of not having a handle on the situation, um, but the fact that the questions, no rebuttals really being given, and the questions not being directed towards the person who's trying to get the job, and rather being put towards a person who already has a job, but yet not giving them actual real questions to answer. They're made-up questions that... Um, based on figments of people's imagination. Uh, and that was, I think, a, a, a moment of real clarity to see where the media is. The media is, not, uh, uh, as Trump would say, they're not on his side. That's why Trump was interrupting and behaving the way he was. He was debating two people at the same time, um, one who's supposed to be the moderator. And the media is consistently doing this. Uh, and Trump was on the defensive. And he, didn't, he did not do a good job. I'm not going to give him credit and say he did a good job. He did not perform well in this debate. Uh, he, there was a lot he could have done much better. And I hope if there is a next debate, you already have uh, Joe Biden, uh, or not himself, but people uh, whispering 
about Joe Biden maybe not doing in our debate. And I could see that happening because if Trump doesn't approach the next debate honestly and with a real prep and plan for how he's going to pursue and answer these questions, then he's going to have a serious problem in this next debate, uh, if there is one. Joe Biden, on the other hand, he lost this debate by – or he would have lost it. I would say if you're going to say a winner, it's it's Joe Biden who wins. But not, Joe Biden didn't win this debate because – he did so well, and he he has these great ideas, and he, he defended his issues very well. And he didn't do any of that. He was uh, he was horrible at this debate. If if you took Trump out and you had no new nothing said by Trump the entire you muted him and just listened to Joe Biden, Joe Biden was terrible, and Joe Biden would have lost this debate any day of the week against any candidate, any person who was not Donald Trump at that moment would have destroyed. Uh, Vice President Biden. He had no chance. I mean, he was not good at debating. Not in this... He's, he's He had a few moments, but overall, very, very bad. Didn't do a good job. Mumbled his way through most of the questions and answers. I mean, there's one point where he talks about how he's going to bring back hard, hard, good jobs back to the country. I don't know what hard, hard, good jobs are, but that was the way he said. We're going to bring hard, hard, good jobs back. So, I mean, he definitely would have lost this debate had Trump done what he should have done and and use this debate properly um had chris wallace not been the moderator and asked the kind of questions he was but we trump should watch this as tape as any good athlete would do going into another game and review this and see how he did and what he needs to do better in this next uh in this next debate coming up he needs to do better prep he needs to not do what he did in this debate and interrupt constantly and blow all his chances at rebuttals right from the beginning and he needs to realize that his easiest debate was going to be chris wallace even though chris wallace was totally not on his side which no debate moderator should be on anybody's side chris wallace was definitely on the side of joe biden and not on the side of president trump he needs to realize that any other debate he goes into is going to be 10 times worse because Chris Wallace at least is a Fox News anchor, which is normally leaning right. And in this situation, that's the best he was going to get. And in the future debates, they're going to be far more uh, left-wing hosts and moderators. These people are going to try to badger Trump and get him to say stupid things. Uh, that is what they do. There will be more made-up questions that come out of the ether that have nothing to do with reality. Um, because these people don't live in reality and they don't want you to know what reality is. So they're going to use that against the president. So he needs to prepare doubly hard for the next one to counteract those things. So um, that was my analysis of the debate. A little bit about Amy Coney Barrett thrown in there, of course, um, who uh, I you know don't want to spend a lot of time on that. She's going to be she's going to be the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, that's just reality that will set in with that. So um, hopefully the next debate is better. I will keep everyone posted on what I think when the next debate, of course, rolls around. But thank you all for listening to Politics Today podcast. Um, you can, of course, contact me. I have Facebook, uh, which is Politics Today. Um, I am now on Spotify and on the Apple Podcasts. You can download me there and listen to all the new episodes that come out. And, of course, you can always shoot me an email at politicsjro uh, at gmail.com. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope you guys listen to more, download more of them. Uh, and I will see you guys on the next big day of politics.